Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. And become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights is proudly brought to you by Purple, a sleep products company 20 years in the making, dedicated to giving you the best night's sleep of your life. I'll be back after our first story tonight to tell you a little bit more about Purple and how they can help you rest a bit easier, even after being kept up all night by bone-chilling tales. Plus, they've got a special offer for those of you in our listening audience. Until then, settle in, get cozy, and prepare to be unsettled. The show is about to begin. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about atrocious appetites, creepy confessions, and wretched realizations. I'm Steve Taylor. Tonight, I'll be your host as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your wildest imaginations. Joining us tonight to help bring our frightening fiction to life are voice actors Christopher Keegan, Kristen Holland, and Ashley Tolfo. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. (laughs) Our first tale tonight is brought to us courtesy of author P.J. Hodge and is voiced by Christopher Keegan. In it, we discover what sort of horrors would drive a formerly innocent person to sink to the lowest of levels. Without further ado, I present to you The Crawling. Do I believe in ghosts? Echoed Mr. Jensen, our village oracle and bookmaker. Yes, I do. Listen, and I'll tell you about one I saw the other night. It's different from most ghost stories, as it's perfectly true. The conversation had moved beyond the hour when a shadow of indiscernible origin had passed across us. 
up to this point we had stuck upon several all entirely wholesome subjects to converse upon, that which were most prominent in our thoughts, but the appearance of the shadow had the effect of shifting the conversation to a less familiar and, in hindsight, rather disquieting territory. You know Mr. Fullen, who lives over at the mill? Well, he wanted his new Wellingtons badly. He must have them, for he was off to Nettleham Market the next morning with a load of pigs. I worked at the boots till about eleven o'clock. The wife says, Peter, you can't go over to mill this night. It's raining cats and dogs and goodness knows what else. I must go, Eliza. And aways I go after I put on my cloak. It was a long walk, and I often wish myself back again. I reached the mill at last, wet through to my skin. Mr. Fullen gave me a drop of something penetrating and kept me yarning till it was after twelve. The night was then darker and thicker than when I left home, and big drops of rain were falling. I walked on quickly, trying hard not to think of something Mr. Fullen had been reading out of the local paper. Mr. Jensen reached for his glass. His breathing had appeared to quicken at every word. Now his lips waited for his lungs to regain composure. Terrible thing it was. A young woman, what had gone mad, murdered her baby and rushed through the streets of Marshbury and... I leaned forward in my chair and inquired after my companion. Do you wish to continue, sir? Mr. Jensen took another sip and told me that he had no intention of quitting, though he had to admit his tale was a rather gruesome one. It was in her arms... He continued, the infant, that is. You see, she had lost her mind to such a degree that she had begun gnawing the skull of the child, and with the fingers and toes of the baby tied to her hair. Good God, I uttered, a deep disgust throttling my voice. Such a thing. I couldn't help but run. "'for I wanted to get past that place, uh, you know it, "'where two men, uh, one a suicide, the other a minister, are buried. "'There's a, a blue flame can be seen there at times, "'among the twisted yews and big oaks, "'between the graves and Mr. Fullens. <laughs> "'The rain had cleared off a good deal, "'but the night seemed to have got blacker. "'There was a little lightning sometimes. "'The breeze moaned and loose bits of bark flapped about in the wind, just like shiny figures cracking their fingers with joy at the chance of entrapping me. Fifty times I almost shrieked, for I fancied I saw the child murderer dashing past the horrid yews. There's a fence running at the end of the timber, in line with the fence of the graves. I was nearing this fence, when all at once I stood still without knowing that I did so. I stared and stopped breathing. I felt my hair gradually lift up my hat. The perspiration ran off my forehead, down my nose and cheeks, and my breath came in gasps. My teeth were chatter, my knees trembled, my eyes started. There, right in front of me, leaning over the top rail of the fences, was a white thing with flashing eyes and two long arms waving backwards and forwards. I could hear clump, clump, clump as it sucked its lips in and smacked its tongue against its toothless gums and the roof of its mouth. It began to advance slowly. Off went my hat. My hair, I assure you on my solemn oath, stood up straight like one of those ear bristles I use with the wax end. Thinks I, I'll die hard. Anyway, no Jensen ever gave in without a squeak to it. So I gradually stooped down, bending my shaking knees, and felt about for a stone. My fingers clutched a heap of leaves, then a bit of wood. I caught hold of anything without knowing what I was doing, and my eyes could not turn away from the horrid white thing coming closer and closer, about to seize me. Says I aloud, I ain't done nothing to you. Whoever you are, I ain't been a very wicked man. 
no wickeder than hundreds of others. I always ring the bell at church. Why do you come for me? Still, it came on and on, flashing its eyes, waving its skinny, shiny arms, sucking its lips and cheeks. At last I got a stone, about the size of this here paste pot. I stretched my shaking legs, took a long breath, clenched my chattering teeth and flung the stone with all my might at that hideous white object and fell face downwards full length on the track. After a brief moment, I lifted my eyes. The moon shone out, and much to my relief, I saw that the thing had left me. Mr. Jensen paused, and I took it that he had finished his tale, but there was more. Then I began to hear a strange gurgling sound, right up close as if it was against my ear. Slowly I turned my head and to my horror I felt the sensation of cold skin against my own. Her? No. Although in a terrible way I wish it had been, he said solemnly. What? Who then? The child, he sighed. There it was, against my head and shoulders, breathing, panting like a newborn. But if it were not for the infant's cry, I might not have recognised it for its face. At this, his body crumpled, his frame dwarfed by its linen surroundings, and a cold silence fell upon us. Dear God, man, if even a word of this were true, I should never close my eyes again, nor pass by that accursed place. But tell me, when did this manifestation leave you? How did you unshackle yourself from it? The man before me straightened his back and stared. I did not, he said three simple words, each spoken with such abhorrence. And with this utterance, a terrible tension took hold of my throat, and through dry lips I did say, such an image would surely stay a lifetime, no one would be able to erase it. You have my deepest... It was then I noticed a certain dimming in the light that drew from the window and observed that Mr. Jensen had begun to turn his head to the corner of the room, his face passing gently into shadow. Following his line of sight, my eyes were directed to a small corner shelf, nestled below a poorly draped window, on which a glass jar had begun a sort of jittery dance towards the edge. And then I continued to gaze upon it until it had moved to the point of destruction, but all the while nudged so delicately, and watched as it fell to the floor. And then with the gentleness of a lullaby, there came a tiny clinking of glass, as the remaining vessels, played upon by little fingers, one by one, were thrust out towards the edge of the shelf. I hope you enjoyed The Crawling by author P.J. Hodge, as performed by Christopher Keegan. Up next, we've got another terrifying tale for you from author J.A. Conrath about a dying serial killer's last confession. But first... I'd like to tell you a little bit more about tonight's sponsor, Purple. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Purple is a sleep products company 20 years in the making, dedicated to giving you the best night's sleep of your life. And that's a good thing, because I often have a hard time falling asleep at night, and if I ever manage to get some shut-eye in the first place, it's just as much a challenge to stay asleep. My line of work demands that I be productive, and that I sound confident and knowledgeable, 
and attitude is everything when you've got to sound your best. And for me to be at that level, I need to get a good night's sleep, and I suspect it's the same for you. More often than not, however, I wake up feeling stiff in the morning or with pain in my neck and back. And if any of you out there are like me, you sometimes wake up hot and sweaty. And if you've been in my position, spending time living in the American South or anywhere it gets humid, for that matter, don't even get me started about how unbearable that can be. But of course, all of that was before I got a purple mattress. And let me tell you, this thing is incredible. It's so comfortable. And I'd go so far as to say it's life-changing. Seriously. Not only does it stay nice and cool at night, it's different than anything I've felt before, and I never wake up in pain. I've been getting the best night's sleep I've ever had, and at least for me, that's a big deal. If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try a Purple mattress. The founders of Purple are two brothers who have been developing cushioning technology for 30 years on things like medical beds and wheelchairs. In 2016, they finally decided to use their patented comfort technology to create Purple, the world's most scientific mattress. The result of their life's work was a mattress so different from everything else on the market, there's practically no comparison. For one thing, the Purple mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced because it uses this brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. It was not like the memory foam I'm used to. Secondly, the purple material feels very unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Plus, it's breathable, so it sleeps cool. It ends up giving you this zero-gravity-like feel, so it works for any sleeping position. Purple is so confident you'll get the best sleep of your life on their mattress that they're offering you the opportunity to try their mattress risk-free for 100 nights. Now, that's plenty of time to feel the purple difference. And if by the end of those 100 days you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. That's right, they'll give you your money back. Not only that, but Purple's mattresses are backed by a 10-year warranty, and they offer free shipping and returns. Not to mention free in-home setup and old mattress removal. And I can tell you from experience, not all sleep product companies will go the extra mile when it comes to disposal. And have you ever tried getting rid of an old mattress before? That is not fun at all, and not something I ever want to do again. <laughs> You're going to love Purple. And right now, our listeners will get a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just text CHILLING to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text CHILLING to 84888. That's C-H-I-L-L-I-N-G to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. That text message and number let the kind folks at Purple know that Steve and the team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights sent you. Thanks so much for listening and for giving Purple a try this month. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Now that we've shared with you the secret of getting a good night's sleep, allow me to contribute to the sort of insomnia no mattress can fix with another scintillating tale. Up next, we move out of the security of your bedroom and into the confines of a confession booth where one man, with his time coming to a close, seeks out a priest in hopes of repenting for a life of sin. But if only it were that easy... From author J.A. Conrath, as brought to life by voice actor Kristen Holland, I present to you Forgiveness.
putting the tube into my penis has cold hands. She's younger than I am. Everyone is younger than I am. But she betters me in the wrinkle department. Scowl lines, frown lines, deep-set creases between the eyebrows. The first woman to touch my Peter in 50 years, and she has to be a gargoyle. I close my eyes, wince as the catheter inches inward, my nostrils dilating with ammonia and pine lemon disinfectant, and something else that I knew so well. Death. Death has many smells. Sometimes it smells like licking copper pennies out of used public washrooms. Other times it smells like cold cuts pickled in vinegar, left in the sun to rot. On me it smells sour, gassy and bloated, and ripe. Here you go, Mr. Parson. She pulls down my gown and covers me with a thin blanket. Her voice is perfunctory, emotionless. She knows who I am and what I've done. I'd like to talk to someone. Who? A priest. She purses her lips, lines deepening around her mouth in cat whisker patterns. I'll see what I can do. The nurse leaves. I stare at the white cinder block walls over the hump of my distended stomach. Edema. My body can no longer purge itself of fluid. I look ten months pregnant. The morphine drip controls the worst of the pain, the sharp stuff. But the dull, cold ache of my insides rotting away can't be dampened by any drug. The room is cool, dry, quiet. No clock in here, no TV, no window. The door doesn't have bars, but it is reinforced with steel and only opens with a key. As if escape is still an option. Time passes. I go into my mind and try to figure out what I want to say. How to say it. So many things to straighten out. The next thing I know, the priest is sitting beside the bed, nudging me awake. You wanted to see me, Mr. Barson? Young, blonde, good-looking. His Roman collar starched and bright. Youthful idealism sparkles in his eyes. Life hasn't knocked the hope out of him yet. Do you know who I am, father? He smiles. Even white teeth. Little points on the canines. I've been informed. Now watch his face. Then you know what I've done? Yes. I see patience. Serenity. Old crimes don't shock people. They have the emotional impact of lackluster history books. But the crimes are still fresh in my mind. They're always fresh. The images. The sounds. The tastes. I've killed people, Father. Innocent people. God forgives those who seek forgiveness. My tongue feels big in my mouth. I speak through trembling lips. I've been locked up in here since your parents were babies. He rests his elbows on his knees, leaning in closer. His hair smells like soap and he's recently had a breath mint. You've spent most of your life in this place paying your debt to society. Isn't it time to pay your debt to the Lord? And what of the Lord's debt to me? <coughs> I cough up something wet and bloody. The priest gives me a tissue from the bedside table. I ball it up in my fist, squeeze it tight. What's your name, Father? Bob. Father Bob, I've got cancer turning my insides into mush. The pain sometimes is unbearable, but I deserve that and more for what I've done. I pause, meet his eyes. You know I was once a priest. He pats my hand, his fingers brushing my IV. I know, Mr. Parson. Smug? Was I that smug when I was young? I'm in here for killing twelve people. Another pat on the hand. 
But there were more than twelve, father. Many more. So many more. His complacent smile slips a notch. How many were there, Mr. Parson? The number is intimate to me. Something I haven't ever shared before. 167. The smile vanishes, and he blinks several times. 100 and... I interrupt. They were children, mostly. War orphans. No one ever missed them. I'd pick them up at night, offer them money or food. There was a place out by the docks where no one could hear the screams. Do you know how I killed them? A head shake, barely perceptible. My teeth, father. I tied them up, tied them up naked and filthy and screaming, and kept biting them until they died. The priest turns away, his face the color of the walls. Mr. Barsonite, the memories fill my head. The dirty, bloody flesh. The piercing cries for help. The wharf rats scurrying over my feet and fighting for scraps. It isn't easy, Father, to break the skin. Human teeth aren't made for tearing. You have to nip with the front incisors until you make a small hole, then clench down hard and tug back, putting your neck and shoulders into it. It took a long time. Sometimes hours for them to die. I sigh through my teeth. I'd make them eat bits of themselves. The priest stands, but I grab his wrist. With the little strength I had left, he can't leave, not yet. Please, Father, I need penance. He takes a breath, stares at me. Watching him regain composure is like watching a drunk wake up in a strange bed. He manages it, finally. But some of that youthful idealism has gone. Are you sorry for what you've done? I'm sorry, Father. The tears come, a rusty faucet that has gone unused for years. I'm sorry, and I... beg for God's forgiveness... <laughs> so alone I've been so alone he touches my face as if petting a crocodile but I'm grateful for the touch the tears don't last long I swat them away with tissue together we say the act of contrition the words are familiar on my tongue but my conscience isn't eased there's more rest now Mr. Parson he makes the sign of the cross on my forehead with his thumb. But his eyes keep flitting to the door. The way out. Father. Yes. I have to proceed carefully here. How strong is your faith? Unshakable. What if... What if you no longer needed faith? I will always need faith, Mr. Parson. For the first time since his arrival, I allow myself a small smile. Not if you have proof. What do you mean? If there is proof that God exists, you'd no longer need faith. You would have knowledge, tangible knowledge. He narrows his eyes. You have this proof? A lapsed priest? Defrocked father, my title was stripped. Of course it was. You killed, I sigh, wet and heavy. Uh, you misunderstand, Father Bob. They didn't defrock me because of the murders. My vocation was taken away from me because I knew too much. I lower my voice so he must lean closer to hear me. I know God exists, Father. The priest frowns, folds his arms... The great mystery of faith is that we accept God without knowing. If God wanted us to truly know, he would appear on earth and touch us. I raise my hand, point at him. You're wrong there, Father. He has come down and touched us. Touched me. This is the tricky part. 
Would you like to see the proof? I almost shout with glee when he nods his head. Sit, Father Bob. This story takes a while. He sits beside me, his face a mixture of interest and weariness. My mouth is dry. I take a sip from a cup of tepid water, soak my tongue. Fresh from the seminary, I was sent to Western Samoa, a group of islands in the South Pacific. It's tropical paradise, the population predominantly Christian, the Garden of Eden, one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Except for the hurricanes. I arrived after a particularly devastating storm wiped out most of Appia, the capital. It comes back in fragments. A series of faded snapshots. After a 20-hour plane ride, I landed in little more than a field. The island air and deep blue beaches were a stark contrast to the wholesale destruction throughout the land. I saw livestock rotting in trees. Overturned cars with little brown arms jutting out crookedly beneath them. Roofs in the middle of streets and jagged pipes planted in piles of rubble where schools once stood. First of all was the constant keening sob that hung over the city like a cloud. So many ruined lives. It looked like God had smashed his mighty fist down on that country. How could he have allowed this? I had to assist in the amputation of a man's legs without anesthetic because there was none left. I had to help mothers bury their babies using gnarled traffic signs to dig graves. I gave so much blood I almost died myself. Natural disasters are a test of one's faith. I shake my head. It didn't test mine. I was sure in my faith, like you are. But it made me question God's intent. We cannot question God, Mr. Parson. But we do anyway, don't we? I sip more water before I continue. In Western Samoa, I did God's work. I helped to heal, to rebuild. I restarted the parish. I preached to these poor, proud people about God's grace, and they believed me. Things slowly got back to normal. And then the murders began. I close my eyes and see the first body, as if it is in the room with me now. The eyes jut out of the bloody ruined face like two golf balls pushed into the meat of a watermelon. The flesh is peeled away, in some places exposing pink bone. A rat pokes its greasy head out of a lacerated abdomen and squeals in gluttonous delight. Every seven days, another mutilated body was discovered. The police didn't seem to care. Neither did my congregation. They accepted it like they accepted the hurricane. Sad, but unavoidable. Father Bob folds his arms, eyebrows furrowing. Were you killing those people, Mr. Parson? No. It turned out to be one of my parishioners. A fisherman with a wife and three kids. He came to me just after he butchered one. Came into my confessional, drenched in blood, bits of tissue sticking to his nails and teeth. Begged me for forgiveness. The man had been short, painfully thin for a Samoan. His eyes were the eyes of the damned, flickering like windblown candles, both insane and afraid. He claimed he was the victim of a curse... A curse that had been plaguing this island for millennia. Did you dismiss his superstitions? At first. While Christians, the islanders, had a distant connection to paganism, sometimes fell back to it. I tried to convince him the curse wasn't real, to turn himself in. I begged him that God didn't want any more killing. I was so earnest, so full of the word, convinced I was doing God's work. He laughed at me. He said that killing is exactly what God wanted. The priest shakes his head. He speaks with the sing-song voice of a kindergarten teacher. God is all-loving. Killing is a result of free will. We had the paradise of Eden and chose knowledge instead of bliss. I scowl at him. God created mankind knowing that we'd fall from grace. 
It's like having a child knowing the child will be hungry and then punishing the child for that hunger. Brother Bob leans in, apparently flustered. God's grace. God has no grace, I spit. He's a vengeful, vindictive God. A sadist who plays with mankind like a child pulling the wings off of flies. Samoa was Eden, Father. The real Eden, straight out of the Bible. The murderer, he showed me a mark on his scalp. I lift my bangs, reveal the mark at my hairline. Witness, Father Bob, proof that God truly exists. The priest opens his mouth. It takes a moment before words come out. Is that... I nod. I feel in a strength. The strength that had forsaken me for so long. It's the mark of Cain, given to the son of Adam when he slew Abel. But the Bible was inaccurate on that point. Cain didn't wander the earth forever, but his curse did. Passed on from man to man for thousands of years. Passed on to me from the murderer in Samoa. The mark grows warm on my head, begins to burn. This is your proof of God, Father. He stands abruptly, his chair tumbling backwards. I grin at him. How does it feel to no longer need faith? Father Bob falls to his knees, weeping. My God, my sweet God. Abruptly, blessedly, the burning sensation disappears. I laugh, laugh for the first time in decades, laugh with a sense of perfect relief. Father Bob presses his hands to his forehead. He screams just once, a soul-shattering epiphany that I understand so well. The Lord be with you, Father Bob. And then he falls upon me, mouth open. I try to push him away, but am no match. His first few bites are awkward, but he quickly learns my technique. Nip. Clench. Pull. The pain is exquisite. So much worse than cancer. So much better. I hope you enjoyed Forgiveness by author J.A. Conrath, as performed by Kristen Holland. Up next, we've got one more terrifying tale for you from an author who goes only by the name Common Crackle, about one individual and how they discover the hard way the benefits of a meatless diet. As performed by actress Ashley Tolfo, I present to you How I Became a Vegetarian. My ex-husband and I divorced on better terms than most. Frank was always a good father to our three-year-old son. And deep down, I think he still loved me. But truth be told, he was never that bright. And a pretty huge pushover. That's why I was surprised, but not absolutely shocked, when he came home one day to confess that he'd cheated on me with a co-worker. He told me like a car salesman pitching a deal. It's not really cheating, though, honey. Lola opened my eyes to everything. We're all just animals. Monogamy isn't natural. I didn't choose Lola over you. I'm choosing her and you, Frank said. His eyes were wide and his smile genuine. To my utter disgust... He believed what he was saying. I sent him packing that day. Fortunately for me, Lola didn't believe it was natural for her to raise another person's offspring. So I ended up with full custody of Henry without a fight. There was the occasional overnight visit at his dad's house, but I tried to keep them as limited as I could while still allowing Henry to have a relationship with his father. To be perfectly honest, I couldn't stand Lola. Not only was she a homewrecker, yes, I totally acknowledge that my ex had an equal part in cheating, but she was also batshit insane. 
I don't have anything against vegans in general, but Lola was a vegan on a militant level. When Henry asked his dad if he could have chicken nuggets for dinner during a visit, Lola had some choice words for him. We are animals too, Henry. We don't eat our own kind. It's wrong. You're little yet, so you can't be blamed. But your mommy is a bad, bad mommy if she lets you eat our poor murdered sisters and brothers. This broke my little Henry's heart, and he made Frank call me to pick him up. Naturally, his father didn't try to correct Lola's words, coward as he was. Am I bad, Mommy? He asked on the drive home. No, honey, no. You're such a good boy. Lola's crazy, I said. He reached his hand to my arm from his booster seat behind me. You're not a bad mommy, he said, tears welling up in his eyes. You bet I bought that kid chicken nuggets on the way home. I was ready to wring that woman's neck. But instead, I tried to be the adult and called my ex to explain why what happened was unacceptable. He agreed with me and promised it wouldn't happen again, but the thing is, he always agrees with the person talking to him. I wasn't necessarily reassured that the issue wouldn't happen again, but I did feel better after giving him a piece of my mind. It was about a month later that the break-in happened. When I got home after picking Henry up for daycare, we found our house absolutely trashed. I took Henry back to the car and called the police. Once the officers had given us the all-clear and verified no one was still in the house, I left Henry in front of my laptop with a snack and my neighbor Totoro playing and went to speak to the cops. The house looked completely ransacked, and there was a good deal missing. Most notably, my kitchen was pretty much emptied. I had been a bit of an amateur chef for a while and had a great deal of quality cookware. My all-clad, lookersay, noritake, and crockpot brand cookware and dishes had all been stolen, along with my carefully chosen Wusthof knife set and all of my flatware. It was surprising to me what the thieves had chosen to take, but the cops explained that in robberies, often what is easiest to pawn is what is taken. My laptop would have been too easily traceable, and my TV was too big to take in a time crunch. As the police took their photos and I began my list of stolen items to turn into my insurance company, my heart sank deep into my stomach. Our cat, Penelope, hadn't greeted us yet. I dropped my notebook and began searching the house. Here, kitty kitty. I called from room to room with increasing desperation. No cat answered my call. My fears were confirmed after I had checked the last of Penelope's usual hiding places. Our cat was gone. The police told us there was nothing they could do about the cat. It was most likely that she had simply escaped while the robbery was taking place. Naturally, Henry was devastated. We posted flyers around the neighborhood and checked regularly with local animal shelters, but nothing came of it. Penelope was an indoor cat and didn't have an identifying tag or even a collar. Frank was surprisingly supportive during our recovery from the theft and pet loss. He brought dinner for us that night. It was vegan, but the thought was nice. And even slept over on the couch because Henry was scared the bad guys might come back. I was pretty impressed with the way Frank stepped up in our time of crisis. So when he told me that Lola wanted to have a dinner, just 
me and her to clear the air, I said I'd think about it. After all, I was an adult and could just leave if she started acting crazy. Over a month passed since the robbery, and there was no sign of the cat and no official invitation from Lola. Not that we hadn't heard from her entirely. She had sent Frank over with a piece of meteorite that she claimed would protect us from any further misfortune. Although, I wasn't sure what information she was basing that belief on. Included with the meteorite was a note explaining that we shouldn't be sad our cat got out, because keeping a pet locked up in a house is wrong. She even went so far as to say the thieves probably took it upon themselves to free Penelope from the tyranny of man. What a comforting and thoughtful gift, right? I'd nearly forgotten about Frank's request that I consider a dinner with her when I got a text from a number I didn't have saved in my phone. Would you like to have dinner with me tomorrow? It would be cruelty-free, of course. I hope that doesn't offend you. I'd give you three guesses at who sent the text, but I bet you'd only need one. Eating vegan didn't offend me, but her text definitely got my dander up. Fortunately, I was too tired to worry much about the text, or how bitchy it was. Dealing with the insurance company to replace our stolen items was becoming a second job in itself, and I was not up for an argument. Sure, we can have dinner, I typed back. See you at 5.15, she said. There was no way I was going to subject my son to another meal with Lola, so I made arrangements to drop Henry off at his grandparents for a sleepover. They were happy to have him for the night, and Henry was able to get his mind off of his still-missing cat. It was a win-win. For them, at least. I still had to suffer through dinner with crazy. Repeating over and over to myself that keeping a good relationship with Frank, and therefore Lola, was important to my son's mental health. I set off to my ex's house. When I got there... I was surprised to see how normal the meal looked. Despite how obnoxious she was, Lola had clearly made an effort to create a passable meal substitute for our dinner. While the food passed for normal, the home decor certainly didn't. A large chart showing the locations of the chakras was painted on the wall. Each chakra had its own shelf with a brightly colored rock on it. No wall was painted the same color as the next with the kitchen-slash-dining room being bright yellow, blue, green, and orange. The table was low to the ground and deep purple, with pillows to sit on instead of chairs. Candles of every possible shape and color sat on any available flat surface. If this were anyone else's home, I might have considered it to be a quirky fun style but it was Lola's, so I considered it a testament to her crazy personality instead. Frank won't be joining us for dinner. He had to stay late at work, she said. She ushered me toward a cushion and gestured for me to sit. I'm so glad you could come. I know this isn't the most ideal situation for us, And I thought it would be nice if we could, like, find some common ground, you know? She asked. Common ground? Like what? I asked. Like, I don't know. Maybe you could try not eating our fellow animals? She said. There it was. The Lola we all know and hate. Look, I'm fine with you being vegan, but I'm not, and you're just gonna have to be okay with that, I said, trying to keep my voice as calm as possible. Can we just talk about something else? 
Maybe you'll change your mind someday, she said. I rolled my eyes. Doubt it. Okay, sorry for bringing it up. Let's eat before everything gets cold. I made it special for you, she said. We sat in awkward silence for a while as we ate. I was relieved she was no longer proselytizing, but it was starting to get really uncomfortable. This honestly tastes a bit like real meat. The texture is even spot on, I said. I was actually pretty impressed that beans and soy could be transformed so well. Lola hadn't touched her meat substitute yet, and instead picked daintily at her salad. Oh, it is real, she said. Her voice was casual, as if this was the most normal thing in the world to say. You cooked meat? I asked. I was sure I had misunderstood. Oh, yeah. I didn't know how else to get you to understand, she said. Understand what, exactly? Is this the common ground you're working on? I asked. Yep, exactly. I just needed a way to show you how wrong it is to eat meat, she said. So, you made meat? I asked. Her explanation made no sense. Yeah, but this meat you should recognize. I made it special for you, so you could see how sad it is when an animal is killed just to be eaten, she said. Lola was smiling from ear to ear. Why don't you cut off another slice for yourself? She asked happily, handing me a knife. Not just any knife, though. A Wusthof knife. My Wusthof knife. Complete with the dent I'd made in the handle two years ago. She must have seen the recognition on my face because she added, People who use cookware for murder don't deserve to have it. I'm sure you'll understand. She made a frowny face. Or can the big bad carnivore not do it? Different when it's an animal you knew personally, huh? She asked. Penelope. Bile rose in my throat as I ran to the bathroom. My head filled with images of Lola murdering and cooking my cat. Tears ran down my face as I violently retched into the toilet. That's when I saw it. The dried drips of blood down the sides of the pink bathtub. I wasn't sure if I could handle what was beyond the curtain. But wanting to know for sure, to have proof to show Frank how monstrous Lola was, I ripped the curtain back. Blood rushed through my ears, and my breath stopped in my lungs. Yet somehow... A scream ripped through my throat. There in the bathtub, with empty caverns carved out where muscles used to be, lay the corpse of my ex-husband. Lola is now doing life in prison, but it will never feel like justice was completely served. How can any punishment she receives ever make up for Henry losing a father? Or the unending nightmares I will endure for the rest of my life? 
Penelope eventually made her way home. But what is a cat to a boy who has lost his father? During the court proceedings, Lola freely admitted to what she had done. <laughs> I bet you won't eat meat anymore now, will you? <laughs> this was the last thing she said to me screaming out the words as she was led away by prison guards. She seemed so proud of herself. As much as I don't want her to have that satisfaction. She's right. I'll never eat meat again. I hope you enjoyed How I Became a Vegetarian by author Common Crackle, as performed by Ashley Tolfo. If you enjoyed what you heard tonight, we'd like to remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and give us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. Finally, thanks again to today's sponsor, Purple, for their support of this show. Don't forget, as a listener, you'll get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress if you order now. That's in addition to the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just text CHILLING to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text CHILLING to 84888. That's C-H-I-L-L-I-N-G to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure as always. I'm so glad you were able to join us tonight. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Roshek. Logo by Craig Roshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. 
It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.